Welcome back to the Gamernode Show. This is episode 84, and I am your host, Eddie Anzotto, and your reviewer today for Legends of Andor, The Last Hope. You knew it was coming. It's the third in a trilogy of games by Michael Menzel from the publisher Cosmos, and I also told you I was going to be reviewing it last episode. So without further ado, let's finally jump into it. fantasy sort of adventure sort of a dungeon crawl without a dungeon but more of a puzzle cooperative game uh, and also somewhat story driven this is part three and i think the final entry into the andor series Uh, also very interesting and different game it's not unique in that it's the third of a series but the series itself is unique among games because this game is a cooperative adventure for uh, up to four players and it's driven by a deck of cards per scenario there is legend 11 which is sort of an intro to the game and the style of play and then legends 12 through 17 which finish out the story that has been brewing from uh, Legends of Andor all the way up through Legends of Andor The Last Hope. So each deck gives you instructions and a particular setup. You might set a few cards aside to be accessed when you're told specifically, and you might read a card or two at the beginning that give you a sort of exposition to your adventure. It'll tell you where to start your characters on the board, what special you know equipment you might have and maybe where to place enemies on the board at the beginning of the scenario and most importantly this first card or a couple of cards will tell you what your first goal is now this is a game that develops over time you start a scenario and you don't know what the ultimate goal of the scenario is maybe Um, you might find out there might be developments throughout the game based on a time tracker and there are two time trackers in this game which I'll tell you about in a minute that will change what you have to do or reveal what you have to do in order to be successful so the board is a beautiful depiction of a landscape and it's double-sided there are two different areas one that comes into play as you get into the later scenarios and the artwork is fantastic. It's Michael Menzel. They're, they're outdoor landscape locations. And they're divided up into numerous numbered segments, sort of irregular shapes. And they're all connected in a funny way. Uh, looks sort of like plate tectonics <laughs> on the board. But each one is numbered. And they also have certain icons that will come into play later in the game for certain reasons. And many of them, most of them, have little arrows pointing from one area into another area. Now those arrows give you instruction on how to move enemies because the game is very tight. It is more of a puzzle than it is a typical dungeon crawler adventure. And I'll tell you why. Um... So the game runs on a time track. On the right side of the board, there are boxes that have letters A through N 
in each of them going from the bottom of the top of the board and you have a pawn called the narrator that starts on box A and whenever the pawn, the narrator, reaches a box with a letter that matches the next card on the deck, you'll flip that card and read it and that's how these developments are triggered throughout the game or how you are instructed to complete tasks before a certain point it might something might say um, you must achieve this goal before the narrator reaches space g on the narrator track so you're managing your time because the narrator moves up one space every day in the game and a day is defined by player actions which i'll tell you in a minute so you might have to finish something before, you know, space G, and if you don't, you fail. Or you may have the next card on the deck that says D on it, and when the narrator gets to D, you flip that over, and, oh, all of a sudden, this other thing happens. This guy shows up on the board. These enemies come out. Um, you realize something, blah, 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 which is cool. So the game develops as you play. Now, the way that you pass from A to B to C to D are in a couple of ways. One is you kill an enemy. Every time you kill an enemy in this game, the narrator advances, which makes sense because it takes time to fight. But also, what this does functionally for you in the game is it makes you really pick and choose which enemies you want to fight because most of the time you don't want that time track to rush ahead. Uh, sometimes you do. Sometimes you need the time track, the, the narrator, to get to a certain letter at a certain point before something else happens. For example, in one game that I played, there was a sort of big bad boss character that was gonna come get us, and I wanted it to happen on this turn and not the turn after because it was better for us. So one, one character killed an enemy in order to advance that narrator so that the event would trigger while the enemy was in a certain spot. It was it was great. The, the way that you have to sort of manipulate the time using these fights or avoiding fights, etc., is really cool. Now, time comes into play in another way. At the top of the board, there is a track with boxes numbered 1 through 7, and then a little separation, and then 8, 9, and 10. And these are the hours in each day that a player can use to take actions. Now, every time you move from space to space, that's one space on this time track at the top of the board. And every time you attack an enemy, it's another space. And if you have to take a second round to fight an enemy, that's another space on the board. And each character, each player, has their own disc on this track and you move you take turns in a regular turn order but the amount of time that you spend can be different because I might say okay I'm gonna move five spaces to get to this spring and restore my willpower so that's five hours whereas another player may be like I'm gonna fight this enemy it's gonna take me one time they go through the combat they happen to win the fight on the first round, okay, I spent one time. And 
one player may say, oh, I'm out of time, I have to rest and take my little disc and put it back in the sunrise box to the left of this track, and then just wait for all the other players to finish out their time. Now, I mentioned 1 through 7 is normal, those are the normal hours, and then there's 8, 9, and 10 where you can push your character to take more actions, but you will lose willpower as you go, and willpower is basically your health, it's your hit points. So you can manage your hit points and actions together to to figure out what is the best for you. Is it okay to lose some willpower? Or should I sleep now? Should I rest and then do what I want to do on the next day? And maybe you have to do it this day because something's going to happen because there's a timer for the scenario at large that will affect the game in general. And... Um, Maybe you don't want to lose willpower because also related to willpower is your attack ability. So players have different characters and each character attacks in a different way. You have a player board that shows your willpower in three rows or maybe four rows on some of them. And as you go up this willpower track, you might go down to the next row. And as you go down a row, you might gain a die for your attack rolls and then if you go down another, you might gain another die. And what that does for you is it helps you in combat because in combat, you roll all your dice and you only keep one. You keep your highest die. So these are all more chances, more opportunities to get a higher die roll when you are in combat. Um, so you're managing losing this willpower and losing the ability or losing the opportunity to potentially roll better roles when you do end up in combat. So you're managing this time. When, when your day is over, you go to rest. When everyone's day is over, they all go back to the sunrise box. And then you have event cards that trigger, which is a deck right next to that box that you'll flip over and maybe something good will happen. Maybe something bad will happen. Maybe a status will come up and they'll say, this whole day this is in effect. It costs you more to jump across a chasm. It, you require more food. You require less food. Uh, it's harder to fight this type of enemy. It's easier to, you know, there, there's a variety of these events. Some of them will flip and you'll be like, oh, that doesn't apply. So nothing happens. Or, or oh, this, uh, if you're standing over here, this happens. Oh, that doesn't matter. Um, so that happens. Then, all of the enemies move. And this is something I mentioned before, those arrows. So the way that you lose the game outside of the narrator reaching somewhere before you achieve your goals is there's a main road down the down the uh, board. And in the original Andor, there was a castle, and it was almost like a tower defense. The enemies move toward the castle steadily. So here you have a road, and you have a caravan or a camp at the... Uh, at the end of the road, and all of the arrows run down this road, so enemies will always walk straight down this road toward your camp or your caravan, and on all the outlying spaces, each arrow will point to an adjacent space, and that determines exactly where an enemy will move every day of the game. They will always follow this path, and they will always move toward your camp, your caravan. And when they reach there, nothing happens except you pull their piece off, and you place them on a card that 
shows you how many enemies are allowed to reach there before you straight up lose the game. So with many players, that number is smaller because you have more ability to defeat them. And with, you know, with two players, it's, it's higher. So you can let a few more enemies get through. And that's another decision that you're making. You're really determining, okay, I know that fighting enemies will increase my narrator track. And I know that not fighting enemies will hurt me. It'll allow these enemies to land at camp and take me one step closer to defeat. But which ones can I let through and still be okay? And which ones do I have to fight and bump up that tra that narrator track? So it's really interesting. And what makes it even more interesting is that some enemies move faster than others. So there, there are three main types of enemies, and the sort of weakest one moves once, then the next one, the next enemy moves, and then the, the heaviest and most dangerous enemy moves, the most difficult to kill, I guess, moves. And then that weakest one moves again. So for the most part, you really want to kill those weak enemies. But um, also interesting to note is that no two enemies occupy the same space at any time. So if a bunch of them get bunched up in a row, like along the path, you'll find them leapfrogging each other and moving twice as fast toward their destination. So you have to look and say, okay, if we kill this one, it gives that one space because they always move in the same order from, from weakest to medium to strongest and weakest again. And um, they always leapfrog each other. So you can, and they always go in the same path. So you know what's going to happen it's not random and you just plan for it super cool managing the time the enemy movement your your daily movement and your willpower super cool now a fight um, that occurs when you're on the same space as an enemy or if you have the archer if he's adjacent and the the combat is very different so each enemy has a willpower value and if you need a reminder that's their hit points and they have a strength value. And characters have strength values also, which can be improved over the course of the game by getting items or bonuses or whatever. Um, the characters will roll their dice, and you can have a buddy help you. One of your party members can help you, another player. And you each roll your dice. You keep your highest die number. Um, in some cases, like if you're the wizard, you only get one die but you have special abilities that can affect the way that you do things. Like the archer rolls one at a time. You'll roll one, and if you want to keep it, you keep it. If you don't, you move on. Um, the, the wizard rolls a die and then can flip it if it's on the lower side, so they're kind of guaranteed a uh, four, five, or six. And there are other abilities also. And then you take your, your highest die value. You add that to your strength, and then combine that with any other players who are in the fight, then the enemies will roll their dice, another player around the table will roll the dice designated to that enemy type, which can be red dice or white dice or black dice, and they all have different numbers on them, and they might be multiple dice. And whatever they roll, their highest die number is added to their strength, and they can actually combine. If they roll doubles, you add those together, which sucks. It's the worst thing ever, and I actually don't like that. Um, but you add that to their strength, and then you compare hero strength 
to enemy strength. Whoever's higher damages the other one's willpower the amount equal to the difference. So I roll a five. I have a strength of three. That's eight. My buddy has a three roll and a three strength. That's six. So total of 14. The enemy rolls a 10 because they got double fives and their strength is three. They had a 13. We do one willpower point of damage because 14 minus 13 is one. So we damage them once. Uh, that won't likely kill them. Um, you know, I might have killed them in the first round. We might have done enough damage to kill them, and then that's great, and that's really what you want. But if you don't, like in what I just described, you move their willpower uh, tracker down, and then every character who's in that battle bumps their disc up one hour on the time track at the top of the board, and you go through the process again. You roll your attacks again, the enemy rolls their dice, and until the enemy's dead, you're killing time or you quit you you back out of the fight um, which is just a waste of life so that's another thing that comes into play when managing time is are you strong enough to fight the enemy that you're trying to fight do you need to wait and get help from another hero can you do it yourself do you need three heroes do you need four heroes and is it worth it to get tied up in this fight and this game actually introduces a new enemy type, the skeleton, which was not in previous games, that works even differently from these three main enemy types, which is cool. They move sort of more erratically, and they hold you in place. The other enemies, you can go into and out of their spaces freely. It's really a choice, and it really contributes to the the puzzly nature of the game, the feeling that you're in control of all these elements and you're managing everything for the best outcome. These skeletons, they will lock you down. They will come directly at you based on uh, these cards that show up and say they move this many spaces in the direction of the nearest hero, and then they will hold you in place until they're defeated. And they actually have the classic skeleton uh, characteristic in that when you beat them, they just kind of like fall down and you can get away. But then they will rise back up at the end of the day or at the beginning of the day unless you did enough damage to utterly kill them in that first round of combat. So that's cool. They're interesting. And mostly I just try to avoid them. But anyway, so that's combat. So you're managing all these things. And then as the game goes, you will reveal new objectives, you'll complete tasks, you might be sent across the board to do something, and then back across the board to drop it off. Each player may have a different goal in mind. You know, one might have to go to one side of the board, another might have to go to another side of the board, or the goals are just given generally, and this is mostly what you're doing is you're deciding around the table, oh, okay, who's going to do what? It, uh, I'm close to here, so I can move this way, I have this much willpower, maybe I can fight this guy by myself, or maybe I'm fastest to get over here and get this thing. Um, I can pick up that piece of wood, you can get that one, we can bring it back. Um, I can get to this space where we need to be, uh, you can go do a thing and then come back. Um, I can hold this character in this spot, I can kill this character here, blah, blah. There's so many different things to consider and you're sort of puzzling it out the whole time, which is super cool. And the way that the story is revealed, the way that the scenario plays out, is novel each time. You know, as you play from uh, scenario 11 through 17, 
it's it's all new experience the whole time replayability very minimal because it's kind of hard to forget what what happens but i mean i guess you could replay it you won't always win either so you will replay the scenarios that you lose until you win so that's good um, but overall, it's, just, it's an interesting game. It's very unique, and it's super cool. One thing that they added in this game is, um, well, they took away money. So buying items, which was normally at the sort of item shop, uh, does not happen anymore. But you get items in different ways. You exchange things for them, or, or a certain character allows you to collect an item and there's just no money exchange. But the other thing is um, they took away... Oh, no. But the other thing is they added a food element. So each day, players have to eat either one nut or, or one uh, flower. So it's weird because you can't just decide, okay, I'm going to go get one of these... There's like one space where they grow far, where the plants grow anyway, far away, and and the uh, the apple nuts they're they're just kind of random when you get them. You can get them behind these fog tokens that you can't see unless you have a special item, or until you flip them over. But also you're incentivized to not flip them over because they can reveal enemies. So it's kind of you can't depend on anything you can't you can't count on getting food and the penalty for not having it is you lose eight willpower which is a lot um, and then there's this other aspect of the game where you have to cross these chasms and they require a certain number of willpower to do it or else you won't make the jump so it's kind of annoying it can it can mess you up um, if there was like a more reliable way to get food where you were deciding, okay, I'm going to exchange this time or exchange this money, which is not in the game anymore, in order to get the food, then okay. But like the sort of randomness of it, uh, I'm, I'm not a huge fan of, but I guess it's interesting. So anyway, um, that, that's basically the game. There are the, seven scenarios 11 through 17 and they ramp up and they use two sides of the board so everything's new and new and exciting and interesting and it plays a lot like the uh the first game except it has these little tweaks but um oh and and in this one each character each of the four heroes has a secondary skill which is pretty cool like the wizard can do magic spells which can be very helpful um so that's cool and the game is really good in that way. It's best at four players, absolutely. Having that full party and all the players interacting and deciding how to go about completing the scenario and, and uh, completing the tasks set before them is great. Um, it becomes more difficult with fewer players, especially when you're trying to defeat enemies Basically, in, in a two-player game, you, you almost can't fight the strongest enemies, and you have to let those go through, which is balanced based on the number that the game allows you to let through in a two-player game. But four is, is almost certainly the best way to play. And, you know, seeing that story is exciting. And it's better 
when there are more people sharing the experience. Absolutely. Like, if you're playing a game alone, you might read something like this and be like, okay, whatever. But just the nature of, of a social game, when something's revealed and there are four players, at least one person's going to be super excited about it and uh, everyone else is going to feed off that energy and you're all going to get tense and, and like, worried and say, oh, that's... or, like, that might be cool or... or oh, that sucks, and you're, like, sharing the experience. So definitely best as a four-player game. And the fact that you help each other in fights is is uh, super important. It's, like, integral to the experience when you're fighting boss characters or these bigger enemies. And the fact that you're allowed to do that in the game, join up and have those fights together, just makes it way better as a multiplayer game. So, yeah, it's certainly best at four players, but still good at all the other player counts and the novelty of each scenario is great but you will never really replay the whole game you'll you might redo a scenario or two but it's not a game that you'll be playing years and years down the line it's sort of a an experiential game which is fine and it's very good so I'm going to rate this game a 4 out of 5 on the gamer node scale this is a commendable game Great game, players will have a lot of fun, and they'll be remembered as some of the better games of their time or genre. We can comfortably recommend these games to most people, and would include them in our own personal libraries. There you go. Legends of Andor, The Last Hope. It's part three of the trilogy by Michael Menzel from Cosmos. Recommended at a four out of five on the Gamer Node scale. Commendable. Go grab it. And that's going to wrap things up on the Legends of Andor, which I always add a the to, even though there is none, on Legends of Andor, The Last Hope, from Cosmos, designed and illustrated by Michael Menzel. If you're dying for more Gamernode in between podcasts, please do check us out on Instagram especially, because I really like doing it, at Gamernode, on Twitter at Gamernode, facebook.com slash gamernode, and of course our video reviews on youtube.com slash gamernode. As always, until next time, have fun out there.